we're going to um, stop singing at this point just because um, what that song's been about is exactly um, what we want to talk about this morning and uh, I believe God wants to ask some questions of us today and, um, and he wants to reveal himself more fully to us. So if you're over here and um, you need a chair, there's some chairs at the side, um, if you can just sit down where you are and you're happy to do that, then that would be great and um, we'll let you know what's going to happen in a moment. Now, you're probably all thinking, well, what on earth is um, kind of going on? We've got no chairs, everything's a bit different and... um, Sometimes we have all the children in for our meetings and it's the holiday and so that's what we're doing. And um, so um, we want to do something just slightly different this morning. Um, you probably know we've been doing a series going through Acts and we've, we've spent an awful long time in Acts 2 in just three or four verses. And um, this morning I want to skip right to the other end of Acts. And um, this is what's known as an all play. That means you're all going to be taking part. And that fills some of you with absolute dread um, because you think, I'd prefer to sit at the back and not take part at all. Um, But I want to go on a journey together this morning. And I believe that as we go on this journey together, that um, we'll understand more about um, what the word says. So we're going to look at this passage uh, from Acts, Acts 27. And I want to just give you a bit of background before we start. So the younger ones might not know, but as the story of Acts goes through, um, Paul is there and lots of other people are there and they're they're speaking and the the early church is growing. And um, Paul ends up in prison. And um, towards the end of Acts, he, uh, he needs to go to Rome. And so he can come before the emperor because everybody doesn't know what to do with Paul. And so it's at this point that we start with Acts 27. Now, as said, um, this is going to be an all play, so you're all going to take part. Now, Acts 27 is about a journey on a boat. Now, when, when you read Acts, it says they go on a ship. And you might think of a galleon or something very kind of grand, but they weren't invented then. The boats look like that, that's on the screen. And um, they go on this journey, 276 people together. Now, we haven't quite got 276 in the room, but I want to go on this journey together. And so I want to create a boat in the middle of the room. So if you're sitting down, I want you to come very close together like you're sitting in the boat. If you can imagine, this is the prow of the boat. I want everybody to come away from the edges of the room and come in together. If you're on a chair, I would like you to come and sit around the edge like you're hemming in the people in the boat, so the edge of the boat. So I want you to bring your chairs so that we make a boat in the middle of the room.
So, we've got this story of Acts 27, um, and um, we're going to go on the journey that Paul goes on, okay? And so, I would need you to imagine that you are on the boat, and I need a couple of people to help in my story. Um, I need a Paul, somebody who's going to speak Paul's words, so somebody who's good and confident, Phil, you're... (laughs) Your bits are in bright yellow. I also need an angel. Anybody feeling particularly angelic? (laughs) Who's going to offer... Yeah, there you go. Well done. So your words are in blue on the other side. Um, And um, so we're going to read through this um, passage together. And we're going to go on a journey. So as I read it, then um, we're going to experience, I believe, some of the things that you'd have experienced in Acts if you were there at the time. So it starts off like this. As soon as arrangements were complete for our sailing to Italy, Paul and a few other prisoners were placed under the supervision of a centurion named Julius. Do we have a Julius in the room? Joss, you can be Julius, because your name begins with a J. And um, he was a member of the elite guard. So these aren't kind of low-key prisoners. We're talking high-end, armed guard, needed type prisoners. And there's 267 on the boat, of which a significant proportion would have been very bad people. Who needed to go to Rome to be punished. We boarded the ship at Adramithium and uh, was bound for Ephesus and the ports to the west. And uh, I think, like all kind of good airlines, we've got our map of where we're going um, on the seat back in front of you. And um, so you'll be able to see where we're going. So we've started off at the bottom right and uh, we're going up the coast. And um, so we're going up the coast towards Thessalonica And uh, the next day, we put in at Sidon. And Julius, he treated Paul very decently. And he let him get off the ship for a bit to go and see some of his friends. Everybody else didn't get off the ship, but Paul was allowed to go and see some of his friends, which was very nice for him. And so although Paul was this kind of prisoner in amongst these prisoners that really weren't to be treated very nicely, Paul's allowed kind of special privilege. Because he's going to speak to the emperor. He's not going to be punished in the same way as others. He's going to speak to him. And he's being kind of sent. So the next day, they went out to sea again. Paul, you best get back on the boat. And we sailed north under the protection of the northeast shore of Cyprus because the winds out of the west were against us. And then we went along the coast westwards to the port of Myra. And you can see all the ziggy-zag bits That's where they have to tack backwards and forwards because the wind goes in completely the wrong direction. Having sailed down that bit, going the opposite direction is really, really difficult. You have to go backwards and forwards, backwards and forwards, and you don't feel like you're getting anywhere at all. But you're all on the boat, and it's rocking from side to side. I don't know how you feel about this. so, So we've got some people already feeling a little bit queasy. And then the centurion Julius found an Egyptian ship 
And so a slightly bigger boat, and, and they all get on the Egyptian ship. And then they run into bad weather. They found it impossible to stay on course. Oh no, it's raining. It's raining. There's, there's waves coming over you. You've all got completely wet. And uh, after much difficulty, they finally make it to the southern coast of the island of Crete. And they docked at Good Harbour. What an appropriate name that is, eh? They docked at Good Harbour. And by this time, they'd lost a lot of time because of all that zigzagging backwards and forwards. And they'd passed the autumn equinox. And so it would be stormy weather from now on through the winter, too dangerous for sailing. And then Paul, he warned... Then the centurion, Julius, set Paul's warning aside and let the ship's captain and the ship owner talk him into trying for the next harbour. But it was not the best harbour for staying in the winter. Phoenix, a few miles further on, was a lot more suitable. When a gentle southerly breeze came up, they weighed anchor, thinking it would be smooth sailing. But they were no sooner out to sea than a gale force wind, the infamous northeaster, struck. And so they were all on the ship, and the ship has lost complete control. It's like a cork in a storm. It's bobbing up and down. Look, there's water everywhere. Matthew is looking incredibly queasy. Oh, no, 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 no. He's been sick all over Chris. What a nightmare. So there they are, bobbing up and down in the storm, and uh, they came along to a little island called Clauda, and they managed to get behind it and get away from the storm, and they get a lifeboat ready, and they get their sails ready, but they couldn't get close to the island, and they managed to avoid them by throwing out their anchors. So there's four big anchors in the corners of this boat, can you throw out your anchors, and it's just going to hold us safe for a little bit. The next day, they pull back in the anchors, and they go back out to sea. And the ship has been quite badly damaged by the storm. And they've dumped all of their cargo overboard. (laughs) Now, I don't know how you'd feel about this. You arrive on the boat, you only have a small number of belongings with you. Just really what you're carrying. And actually, everything has to be chucked over the boat and I wonder what are you going to miss the most I think we've got the microphone I want you just to have a think for a moment and any hands what are you going to miss the most of what you've got with you that you have to chuck we've got a mobile phone being held up at the back communication in the middle of the Mediterranean is difficult without your mobile phone perhaps You've got your car keys, okay, which um, are going to be useful when you get back to port. Carly, you'd miss your toothbrush. It's going to get really scuzzy with no toothbrush. And you're there in the middle of the ocean, bobbing up and down, not having eaten much for days. On the third day, the sailors lightened the ship further by throwing off everything, the tackle, the provisions, just about everything. 
few little bits of bread, all they have left. It's been many days since we've seen the sun and the stars, the wind and the waves are battering us unmercifully, and we've lost all hope of rescue. And with our appetite for both food and life gone, Paul takes his place in our midst and says... On the 14th night, adrift somewhere in the Adriatic Sea, at about midnight, the sailors sensed that they were approaching land. And sounding, they measured a depth of 120 feet, and shortly after that, 90 feet. And afraid they were going to run aground, they threw out their four anchors. Oh, you're really slow. <laughs> really slow. They threw out their four anchors. Oh, they are on form now. And, uh, and they prayed for daylight. You know, somebody recently found the four anchors. They searched for 20 years, and they found the four anchors that were chucked off the boat. How incredible is that? But they searched for 20 years to do it. That's quite some commitment. Some of the sailors tried to jump ship, and they let down the lifeboat and pretended they were going to set out for more anchors from the bow. And Paul saw through their guys and told the centurion and his soldiers... So the soldiers cut the lines to the lifeboat and let it drift off. Now, we've got a microphone. How do you feel at this point in time? You've been adrift. You've been going up and down. The anchors have been chucked out. And you've been just stuck going up and down and up. And, uh, and it's not like a comfy ship. You haven't got a nice cabin. You're lying around in the bottom of the boat with all the vomit. <laughs> with all the seawater that sloshed over everything. You're soggy. I wonder, how do you feel? Emily's got a microphone. Who's going to say how you're feeling at this point of the story? Go on, somebody be brave. get off the boat <laughs> you want to get off absolutely but Paul's just said right cut the lifeboat off because otherwise we're all going to die I think I'd quite like to die actually you'd like to die actually it might seem quite a preferable option at this point in time you know we're, we're talking about weeks at sea here we're not we're not talking a 15 minute journey round the corner to the next island. They've sailed halfway round the Mediterranean and they're tired and they're hungry and they want to die. That's how bad it's got. 
So, Paul called everybody together and proposes breakfast. So, we've got some bread. Well, all right, I didn't get bread from Sainsbury's, but... um, So share out, share out the bread amongst you, and um, I don't know how you feel about eating. Um, you've been bobbing up and down. There's not been a lot of food, and there's not been a lot of water. And, um, and yet, suddenly Paul says, you've got to eat. So pass around your bits of fruit. Make sure that everybody's got some food. I'm sorry, I didn't pass any that way. Who's got some to pass that way? Because you were bystanders, you see, watching from the shoreline. Anyway, Paul takes the bread and he breaks it. And um, for those of you who have read the Bible, you know that when Paul took the bread and he broke it, actually... This is what they'd have done as they celebrated the Lord's Supper together. And so um, if there were any Christians on the boat, they'd have understood the significance of him getting the bread and breaking it. And then they all ate together as a group. And it says they ate heartily, 276 of them. Every one of them had something to eat. With the meal finished and everyone full, the ship was further lightened by dumping any grain overboard. And at daybreak, nobody recognized the land. But then they did notice a bay with a nice beach, and they decided to try and run the ship onto the beach. And so they cut the anchors away, which is why they could find them, because they cut them off just where they were. And they loosed the tiller, they raised the sail, and ran before the wind towards the beach. But they didn't make it. Still far from shore, they hit a reef, and the ship begins to break up. How do you feel now, Josie? How do you feel now? (laughs) You know, you wanted to die a minute ago. You've eaten some food, but now the ship's breaking up around you, and you're not even got to shore. It's breaking up on the way. And the soldier decided they're just going to kill everyone. And actually, that's the kind of thing the centurions were used to doing. Actually, it would be easier to kill everyone, and then actually all these bad people wouldn't make it. And that's fine. They got their justice. But because he wanted to save Paul, because he's this special envoy that he's got, he gives orders for anyone who can swim to dive in and go for it, and the rest of them to grab a plank. And you know... Everyone, all 276, we're told, made it to shore safely. They then spent, it says in chapter 28, they spent three months on Malta. Everybody was really nice to them on Malta, made them feel very at home. Sounds like a nice place to winter, doesn't it? Three months on Malta. And... um, 
and they spend the three months there, and then they catch another ship and uh, make it to Rome in the end. So they all get where they were supposed to go. Now, I just want to ask you a question, because Luke writes more about this shipwreck than he does about the Ascension and Pentecost put together. Why on earth does he bother doing that when he's handwriting this letter to Theophilus, which is what Acts is, it's his letter, and um, he spends more time writing about this shipwreck than he does about what we'd say are really important things. And we've spent like about eight, ten weeks focusing on about three or four verses from Acts. And yet, here we are with a full-on chapter about a shipwreck. And um, I believe that's because Luke wanted us to learn something about what was happening. He wanted us to understand something more than the story of the shipwreck. And I think the story is quite a dramatic one. And so I want to ask you some questions this morning that I think this story throws up and which I believe God wants to ask us. And the first is... Do you feel like you've been shipwrecked? You might feel like you're on the beach, you're gasping for breath, and you've only just made it this far. And for some of you, your lives have been like a shipwreck. And you've just made it off the ship, and you've made it to shore, and it doesn't feel great. And I want to encourage you. At this point, where people wanted to die, God gives them three months rest. And says, I'm going to give you some time out here before you get back on the boat. It says in the Bible, God will not allow you to be tested beyond what you can bear. It says in 1 Corinthians 10, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. He will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure. So maybe you've you've felt like you've been shipwrecked already and that you're lying limp on the beach. It might be that you feel like you're still in the storm and that you're about to be shipwrecked. You know, everything seems to be coming down. And I want to wonder, are you tempted to swim for it at this point? God's told you to go a particular way. You've set out on your journey, but it's so stormy that you think, I'm just going to cut off the lifeboat, get in it, and go my own way. And for some of you, that may be how you're feeling this morning. And so I wonder what God would say to you if you say, I'm going to cut things loose and I'm going to go my own way. I remember that little kind of children's song. With Jesus in the boat, you can smile at the storm. And I've always thought, nah. I can't imagine that actually, you know. Just because Jesus is in my boat doesn't mean I have to smile when the storms are raging around me. But I think, you know, even if you're grimacing in the storm, Jesus can be with you. And actually, you don't need to get in the lifeboat. The Spirit can give you peace even when all around you seems to be failing. 
For some of you, you may not have even got on the boat. And actually, you're so on dry land that you can't even see the sea. Because you're not going where God wants you to go at the moment. Because you feel like, I don't want to put myself in that place. And so I want to say, is God prompting you to go and get in the boat? And go somewhere different? And it may be for some of you that he has been. And that it's been a difficult time. Paul goes and gets in the boat. He's in prison after prison. He speaks to one kind of important person after another. And in the end they go, we're going to send you to the emperor. You know, if Paul hadn't gone and got in that boat, or he'd gone and got himself killed on the journey because he'd argued too much with the centurion, he'd never have made it to Rome. If Paul had never spoken to the emperor in Rome, he wouldn't have become a Christian. If he hadn't become a Christian, we in the UK would not have received the gospel for hundreds of years after we did actually do it. So actually, Paul obeying God and getting on that boat, even though the storm was horrendous, even though it seemed like he was going to die, changed the course of history. And actually, you don't know what God wants to do with you. You might be old, you may be young. But if God says, I want you to go over there, I'd say he says, I want you to go over there for a reason. Not because actually he wants you to go and have a storm and feel really, really nauseous. So my key question to you this morning is, are you prepared to get shipwrecked? And I wouldn't say yes lightly, because actually when we say yes to God, sometimes it's a rocky road. But I wonder, are you prepared? It's not always going to be plain sailing. Romans 8.28 says, we know that those who love God, all things work together for good. Because they are called according to his purpose. That still doesn't mean it's going to be plain sailing. Yes, God calls us. He's got purpose in our lives. That doesn't mean it's going to be easy. Because there may be trouble ahead. There may be. But God will be with you in the boat. He'll send his angels to speak to you in the boat when you need them. On my, um, on my key ring, um, I have this on my work keys. Um, it says, he means what he promised. And I was reminded about my key ring last Sunday. So last Sunday, there was a picture like the one that was just on the screen of a double rainbow. Can you put that up for me, Georgia? Just the one before. So it was a bit like that. It didn't look quite so glamorous out of my parents' window as that view looked and I didn't manage to get a photo of it but there was this double rainbow and God reminded me and I knew that what we were going to be doing this morning I knew the story anyway I didn't know what I was going to say but I knew God wanted us to do something about this story and um, it reminded me about my key ring he means what he promised Pamela bought me this key ring when I didn't have a lot of confidence 
that things were going to go the way God had been saying. So God had said to me, I want you to become a doctor. I want you to go to Africa. And he'd said it when I was 14 years old. And there I was coming towards the end of medical school and I was struggling. And I didn't believe that actually I would even pass to be a doctor, let alone end up in Africa one day. And Pamela just sent me this keyring through the post. At that point, I couldn't even see the end point of us even being married. We lived in two different countries, and I was really struggling. And she sent me the keyring, and I keep it with my work keys. And, you know, God was faithful. He got me through that really stormy time when I thought I would never make it, when I thought I would die at sea, and actually I got there. And the journey happened. And yes, I became a doctor. And yes, we've been to Africa. And and I thank God that actually when he speaks, he doesn't do it for nothing. God speaks and he has purpose for our lives. So this morning, I don't know whether you're in the boat or not. You might not be in the boat because actually you're not a Christian yet. You don't know Jesus. And if you don't, I'm not going to promise you that Um, becoming a follower of Jesus makes you smile in all the storms and makes life really easy because it's not. But what I can tell you is that actually he makes the journey worthwhile and uh, he does things that are amazing in your life. It might be that you're in the boat and you're just really struggling or that you feel like you've been spat out the other side and you're lying on the beach gasping for breath, clutching your plank because you couldn't swim any longer. And you know what? God knows. He knows where you're at. He knows your heart. And he loves you anyway. So, um, if the worship band could come back, I want to um, just finish up by worshipping again. I don't know whether we can do that last song again, because actually it talks about, as I said at the the start, all the things that um, I wanted to talk about this morning, about your anchor being fast in God. And actually, when our anchor is fast in God, it doesn't matter how stormy it is, because he'll get us through in the end.